the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you, Gentiles. And unless you're a Jew sitting here today, you too are a Gentile. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should, and your faith is strong in Christ, is strong. If I say to you, what's the first picture that comes into your head when you hear successful church ministry? What's the picture that comes into your head? Well, is it perhaps a mega church? And everything that goes with that? Uber Air? Did you know Uber Air exists? It's an air service with Lear jets that's there to, for um, mega-rich pastors who can't afford their own jets. Uber Air. There it is. Or perhaps if you think of successful ministry or ministry or a minister, you think of a white-collared and cloaked formal minister, all the bells and smells ministry. If you think of a minister and you're aspiring to get a job one day, maybe you're thinking, minister, oh, that's a soft job. I just have to write boring speeches and kiss babies every now and then. Yep. If you think about real ministry, maybe you think mega churches, campus churches who live stream from one central massive venue to other massive venues, same speaker. One to five services in a morning and you can decide which of those five services you'll go to. Maybe that's what successful ministry is. You think of exciting home or life groups. Of selling cakes on markets so that uh, you can help the missionaries on the mission field and even feed children in poor countries. Is that successful mission, uh, mission and ministry? Well, the Apostle Paul uses three words which are in direct contrast to all those, some of them very good things. Servant. Suffering. Agonizing. So when you think of successful ministry, did you even think of those three words? Servant. 
suffering, agonizing. It's not what we think of. So let's look at this, because he's describing ministers and ministry to us, and we need to pay attention. Verse 24 and 25, this is what he says of chapter 1 in Colossians. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And just look back to verse 23. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been a servant to proclaim it. So what do we know? We know so far that the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He's writing with chains on his hands. He's writing to a small group of believers, not a megachurch, a small group of believers and other believers scattered all over the then Roman world. And believers he would probably not ever meet in his life. There's no live streaming from this mega church in Rome. Who was Paul? He was God's appointed messenger, verse, chapter 1, verse 23. God's appointed messenger with a very specific message to a very specific people, the Gentiles. It wasn't that this message wasn't for the Jews. It was for the Jews, but Paul's specific message was for the Gentiles to hear. And he says it's a ministry of servanthood. The word minister means servant. The word pastor we use now is to shepherd, but as a servant. It's servant leadership. And being a servant takes hard work and struggle, as any servant those days would tell you. And you might not see it on the surface, but someone who serves is struggling. And there's hard work. And then he speaks about suffering. And he says, I'm suffering for the church, verse 24. Why is he suffering for the church? Well, historically, the Judaizers had been against Jesus, and they had put Jesus to death. The Jewish leadership were the Judaizers. They put Jesus to death. And they were after his followers because they wanted to root out this whole believer's this whole Christian movement. Apostle Paul himself was one of the top Judaizers in his day before Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul hadn't been persecuting Jesus. He'd been persecuting the church. But the church was the body of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I'm suffering for the church. What had Paul gone through in his life? Well, on his many missionary journeys, he had to, there was no Uber jet for him, by the way. He had to go on just walking. He had to go on ships, on carts, and they were long and dangerous journeys where you'd get attacked by robbers. He'd been rejected by so many people. Even his own family had rejected him. He had received beatings. Go look at the book of Acts. He'd been chased out of cities. He'd been released over city walls in baskets so that he wouldn't be found because he'd be killed. He'd been stoned to the point of death. He'd been hungry more than times than he could remember. And now he was in prison. That's ministry for Paul. No multi-million dollar home for him. 
And finally, we are told that Paul was killed for his faith. That's ministry. So who's the minister? He's this person who's been appointed by God. He's made a servant to the church. And he is to suffer and serve the church. Suffer for and serve the church. Now, verse 24, I want you to take note. If you've got an ESV version, just take note of what the words say there. Verse 24 says this. It says, in my flesh, why is he suffering? Because in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Now, that sounds strange. He's saying Christ's afflictions was lacking something for the sake of believers. How can that be? I thought Christ died the perfect death, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And that's why I came to the NLT, which is much clearer, you see. The NLT says, For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. I'll come to that now. You see, why am, I, why am I coming in on this verse? Because this verse has been one that has led many, many astray, including those in the Roman Catholic Church. You see, what it, what it seems to say, if you read this verse in isolation, is that Christ's death and Paul's efforts are necessary. Christ plus. And isn't that what Paul had been going at the Judaizers for? Isn't that what he's warning the Colossian Christians about? It's Christ and nothing. Christ is sufficient. But no, here it is. Christ, Christ's death and Paul's efforts, it seems to say. So was Christ's suffering and death on the cross not sufficient to fully pay for the sins of his church? Does Paul mean that he has to add to Christ's work? You see, and this is where the teaching in the Catholic Church went wrong, where they started teaching flagellation. What was that? That's whipping yourself with whips in your body to add to what Christ has done to make you good. That discipline of the body. That's where they started talking about pilgrimages, long pilgrimages, climbing up stairs on your knees to pay for in your body, to discipline your body, to add to what Christ has done. That's where they came up with indulgences, not just to get money, but also to pay for, to add to what has already been done. This verse was what was being used in isolation. But this is exactly what Paul was hammering the Judaizers for. And so the NLT says it clearly. It says Paul is glad or he rejoices to be participating or being a part of the wider picture of the sufferings that started with Christ and that Christ warned his followers would come to them too. Didn't he say that? Christ warned his followers. Matthew chapter 10 verse 22, he said, And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. He warned them. But everyone endures to the end will be saved. See, Christ warned them, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. You will be suffering for my sake. And so with Paul's sufferings, what Christ was saying there has come true. And it's all for the sake of the church. Christ suffered for those who would come after him. You and I too. Paul was suffering for those that he was ministering to through his wider ministry. It's the wider picture, you see. And so Jesus is saying there, and listen, I'll put it in today's language. 
getting flack from society because you're a Christian shows that you're on the right track and in good company. Yep. If people are disparaging you for the gospel's sake, you're in good company. You're on the right track. Persevere. Don't give up. And then lastly, under who's the minister, is it just Paul and professional ministers who are the ministers? No, I'm sorry to say. I'm glad there's so many who can join us in the task because there's verse 28. There it is. He says, and so we tell others. Ah, who's the we? All those who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, who have the message of the gospel in them, who now in turn take it out. We become ministers of the gospel. So you're included. It's called job sharing in today's language. So welcome to job sharing. All right, secondly, ministry is not just ministry because we do religious stuff. Ministry is centered around a message. If we didn't have a message, there'd be no ministry. Because what would we say? What would we do? Message here, verses 25 to 28. I'm going to read it. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. So there's one area of ministry. We have to take out a message, an entire message. And this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. So there was a mystery message. Well, let's look at this. You see, we can't just do church stuff. We can't just serve people. We can't just look after the physical needs of people. That isn't all that a church has to do. We have a message to take out. Because otherwise, we're just a glorified aid agency. We take out a message, the message of Jesus Christ. God has given me the responsibility, says Paul, of serving His church. How? By proclaiming His entire message to you. The nice-to-hear bits and the not-so-nice-to-hear bits. We are to proclaim the entire message of the gospel. And so we must talk about people being saved from their sin and receiving a glorious inheritance, yes. But we must also talk about hell and everything else that comes with that if you do not turn your life to Jesus Christ. The nice bits, the not-so-nice bits. The entire message of the gospel. You see, what the false teachers in the Colossians day was doing, they were telling the, the Christians there only the nice bits. But they weren't telling this message, the mystery they called it, or ultimate knowledge. They weren't telling these people this ultimate knowledge to everyone. They were only telling it to an elite group of those they chose to tell it to. Those who would ultimately be shown through angelic mediators what the truth is. So their mystery message was not for all. It was only for some. And then in contrast to that, God's message comes up. And He's also got a mystery. We come across that in the Old Testament, right? The, my the mystery which was kept secret for centuries and generations past. What was that in the Old Testament? One day there would be a Messiah. And He would save His people, Israel, forever. But that was only a partial message because as history went on, God was revealing the rest of that plan through the prophets, through 
Israel's leaders through Moses. That mystery was being revealed. And then came Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself, and he started revealing, I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me will not be cast out. He started saying, I am that mystery revealed. And so, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, how is that mystery revealed? Here it is. Apostle Paul says, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, that's the New Testament era, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and the prophets. Verse 6, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited as children. What was this message revealed? And what is our message to take out? It is this. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Christ can be in you. That's the message that has been revealed. You see, in the Old Testament it was, I am your God. I will be with you. But now the message revealed is, I will be in you. Christ in you. And that's why it's possible for Jew and Gentile to receive this message. Because God comes to live inside a person. Christ in you. Christ lives in you. And that's why you have hope for eternity and His glory. What Paul is saying to these Colossians is, Gentile Colossians, don't listen to these false prophets and teachers. Christ is in you, your hope of glory. You don't need any other revelation. You don't need any other vision. If you receive and hold fast to this gospel message, which holds Christ as central, then you have access to the riches and the glory of Christ in full. That's God's wisdom. Don't listen to man's wisdom. What more could you want? And you and I as believers in 2020, post-lockdown, this is our message too. Christ in you, your hope for glory. It's a proclamation of this message which should be at the core of any minister who stands in the pulpit and their ministry. Christ is in you. We don't give clever stories. We say Christ in you. We preach the central gospel message. No self-help schemes, as you'll see on TV. No power of positive. Christ, who is your only hope, He is in you. That's what we preach. It should be at the core of any Christ follower's service. When you are serving others, this should be the central core of your service. Christ is in me, therefore I can serve you. Christ can be in you too. I will do good for you because of what Christ has done for me. This was a message at the core of the Apostle Paul's sufferings. He could have denied Christ. He could have lived an easy life probably. Because he had wealth in his family. But no. He chose this core message and he paid the price. He was put in chains. The Judaizers rejected the message and then the messenger. They hated his message and therefore they rejected him. This message should be the core of what we teach and how we disciple in our churches as Sunday school teachers, as parents. 
we are to warn and teach everyone with the wisdom God has given us. Why must we do that? Why? You see, there's a goal in our ministry, and that's the next verse, verse 28. Why do we have this message? Why are we ministers? There's a goal to it all. Verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. Why? We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Why do we as ministers put time into preparing God's Word? Why do you as ministers in the church put time into and effort into speaking to others about their faith? It is for this reason, because we want to present them perfect in Christ. Is that more? The more sermons you hear, the more perfect you'll be? No, you'll be very asleep. Because if Jesus Christ doesn't do the work of perfection in us, we will never become mature in Christ. And that's what the word perfect means there. Christ makes us perfect, but He brings us to maturity in Him through our lives. The work of, wait for it, big word, sanctification. He makes us mature in Christ. Perfect in Him. And that's the goal of ministry. As we preach God's Word, as we speak about Christ in you, we want to make you mature in your faith in Christ. That's my goal as a, as a pastor at this church. I want to preach God's Word faithfully so that Christ will be central in our lives and our thinking. And that takes warning. Not my warnings. It's God's warnings that I have to put out there. It takes teaching, not my teachings, not my clever thoughts, God's thoughts. And that's why we'll hold to Scripture and analyze Scripture and put it out in logical form there, as logical as we can, so that we can understand what God is saying through His Word. His Word in us brings us to maturity. Maturity in Christ. It should be our goal as we minister in this church, in every single thing we do, is to help those around us to come to maturity in Christ, to get alongside each other, to encourage each other in our walks. Why? So that we would be mature in Christ. It shouldn't be just so that we can have a good time talking about rugby. We want to be mature in Christ. Why do we help each other in our homes? Why do we take food for people? To encourage them so that in their faith they would become mature in Christ. That's what it's about. It's the goal of ministry. And that's not going to be easy, is it? Why? Because we're working with people like you and like me. And whenever you work with people, anyone here who works with people, it's not easy. Because people can be trouble. They don't think like me. And it's going to take hard work and patience. Anyone you've brought up kids? Hard work, patience. We have to teach. We've got to warn. We've got to encourage. We've got to get alongside. We've got to cry with each other as believers. Hard work, patience, tears. And Apostle Paul uses a very specific word for it here. He says, as you struggle, as you... I will struggle and strive for you, he says. Now, there's a Greek word. It's the only Greek word I'm going to use today. 
agonizomai. Whoa, I'll say that again. Agonizomai. What do you recognize in the word? Agony. Yeah, it's not what you're going through now, by the way, as you're listening. The word agony is intense pain and suffering with perseverance. That's what the word antagotzimai means. It's the word used originally in Paul's era of athletes in the arena who had to train and put in maximum effort and endurance, otherwise they would never be successful. You speak to any athlete who does any sport like this at high level, it takes a lot of maximum effort and pain and endurance to get anywhere. I used to do 100 meters as an athlete way back in another lifetime, junior school, junior high school. And I remember well those steps, we had to climb up the steps of, uh, of a pavilion. Up and down those steps, up and down those steps. We thought we were going to merciless trainer we had. But he knew without the pain and the agony, without the perseverance you, you learn, you will never succeed. And when we started running races, that pain and agony paid off. Because as you run that race, you still endure pain and agony. If anyone's done 100 meters, you feel like you're going to die. But you push through until you cross that line. And then you've won the race or come second or third or fifth. But you run with pain and endurance. Isn't that what Jesus Christ put through on the cross for us? He agonized on the cross. At Geth you know, if you think that cross was an easy job, it was the worst thing the Romans could think of. On how to kill someone over the longest period of time. Christ agonized, agonizomai, for you and I. To show us how we must agonizimai each other. How we are to suffer and endure for each other. For the sake of seeing each other mature in Christ. That's what he calls us to. Why did Paul do this? Maybe it was because Paul remembered how he used to persecute the church. Maybe he was on a giant guilt trip, trying to make up for what had been happening to him. He had been persecuting believers. He had put believers to death. Think of Stephen. That must have played on his mind. And so all he can think of is the love of Jesus Christ shown to me, the worst of sinners. And now I want to suffer on your behalf, so that you too can be made mature in Christ, like He is making me. And therefore He urges them to, chapter 2 verse 2, to be knit together by strong ties of love. Whose love is it? Of Christ in you. As you love each other. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying to them, it's worth it to put all this energy and agonizing and striving into your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Why? Because like them, Christ is in them, and we have this hope of His glory. See, Paul was struggling for them because Christ was in him, but Christ was in them too. And because Christ is in them, He has to suffer on their behalf and encourage them in their faith. And that's what we have to do. And so my application this morning is on three points. First one is this. And take heart with this. 
Christ lives in you. The mystery's been revealed. No more mystery now. It's open and clear. It can be in you if you're not a believer. But if you're a believer, Christ is in you. He lives in you. He is your hope for the future. It's in Christ alone. You don't need anything else. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Christ is in you, your hope for the future. And therefore, you must search for the treasure of His wisdom and His knowledge. How do we do that? Claudine spoke to us this morning. How do we do that? Through His Word. And when you finish reading His Word, start again. Like my friend Peter, read it again. And when you finished, start again. Read His Word. His Word, His Word, His Word in us. Why? So that in the end, we're so filled with the principles of God's Word and God putting His own words into, into our human souls that we are maturing in Christ. And so that at the end, we bubble over with it. And when we're walking in society, we can't but speak about Him. We can't but quote words from His Word because it's in us. It's part of us. Christ in us. John Owen, who was a famous preacher, he put it so powerfully, and I put this up above my, um, my desk so I can see it every time I prepare a sermon. Listen to this. If the Word, if Christ's Word does not dwell with power in us, it will not pass with power from us. Man. There have been times where I've come at the end of a week and I've done a whole sermon, pre prepped a whole sermon, and I have to shove it off my desk and say, this is rubbish. Why? Because I haven't experienced this power of this passage in me, and so I need to go back to it, and back to it, and back to it, until the Lord speaks to my soul about that passage, and only then can I come and speak. Because without that power, how can my words go out of power? The Holy Spirit takes that, and you receive fantastic and the same principle applies to you too if you want to be a powerful witness for jesus christ you need to allow his word to become powerful in you otherwise it won't go with power from you allow his spirit to do that in you secondly christ lives in you secondly struggle comes with the territory jesus warned you if you're a believer you are going to struggle with some kind of thing in life and therefore, he says, persevere in Christ. You see, you're not in chains, I think. Most of you are here. You haven't been released on bail. You're not in chains like Paul, but you may be under derision. People may be making fun of you about your faith. You might be going through a life struggle. He says, it comes with the territory. There's a song we've learned which says this. When I, fear, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold 
through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. You are going to struggle, but He will hold you fast. Why? Because Christ in you will do it. And then lastly, if you're a minister, it says you're a minister. That's what Paul says to us in verse 28. You're a minister of, you're a servant of Jesus Christ. So what do servants do? What do servants do? It's easy, but it's hard. We have to serve. How do we serve? We've got a mandate. You see Matthew 28. Do I need to go there? Go into all the world. Speak the gospel message. Make disciples and baptize them. Go into all the world, speak the message, and make disciples. How do we do that? How do we make disciples? Well, if you're a mother, if you're a parent here, get alongside your children. Bring them the message first. And when they've accepted Jesus Christ into their lives, then bring them to maturity in faith. Christ in you and in them. If you're an employee to your colleagues, how do you do this? How do you, how are you a minister of Jesus Christ? Well, in Titus, as men's group, we've been seeing do good to those around you so that they will see Christ in you. Be, do good to them. If you're a teenager, show Christ in you to your friends by the way you do things and don't do things, by your attitude towards life. Show Christ. If you're an employer, Look after your employees. Do it for Jesus Christ. Christ in you to them. You see, find these opportunities and show Christ is in you. And then as a church, Wanganui East, let's be ministers to each other. Let's show genuine Christ, Christ's love to each other as we are knit together because of the unity in us. Christ, let's do that and depend on Christ. Agonizomai for each other. Go through agony for each other. Not just a, hey, how's it going? Good, cool. Next one. Go through agony for each other. And if you can't, if you can't agony for them physically, agonize over each other in prayer. Pray for each other. We've already seen that early in Colossians. How should you pray? Well, pray like Paul prayed for the church. Go through the prayer directory. And agonize over each other. And you will see what Christ does among us. He will bring us through to maturity in Christ. So here's the summary. Apostle Paul says, Christ follows in 2020. This is his message to you. Christ in you will bring you through. I made that rhyme just for you. Christ in you will bring you through for his glory. Christ in you bring you through whatever may come in your life, for His glory. Praise be to the Lord. I'm going to pray after we've listened to a song. We're not going to sing. We're going to listen to the words, look at the words and listen to a song as our prayer before the Lord. Use this as a time to reflect on what God has been saying to you. And then I will pray and we'll end the service. Let's listen to the words of the song.
this, Lord. My own is Christ in me. Lord, remind us of that when we go through struggles in this life, through hard times, when we reach that point where we think, I want to give up. Show us then that we are bound with everlasting and all-powerful bindings to you, Jesus Christ. Your love holds us. You are in us. And Lord, as we seek to serve you in this community, in this church, in our homes, at work, may we show Christ in me to those around us. May we live out Christ in me in everything we do. As people look at our lives, may they see Christ in me. May your name be made great and may many come to saving faith because they see the miracle of grace in human form in our lives. Thank you, Lord. I pray for every single person here today. We don't know what this week holds for us, but we know you do. And you are right there with us. May you use us for your kingdom. May you encourage us as we serve. And may we all together reach maturity in Christ and perfection, something you've already done for us before your Father. Thank you, God, for your work in us. Thank you, Spirit, for being with us.